I'm Crystal. And I'm Sheena. And this is the Lifestyle of the Weird and Interesting Podcast. Conversations you won't find in Life's Handbook. Hey friends, welcome back to the Lifestyle of the Weird and Interesting Podcast. Today we are on episode 16 and we're going to be talking about tarot cards. Yes, so excited that this is going to be a very fun conversation. <laughs> yes. And I just recall our Oracle Cards episode, which we will link um, if you want to listen to that, where I was a little chicken and I was afraid of tarot cards, but oh, how things have changed. So <laughs> we, will, <laughs> we will get into that in this episode. But first, Sheena, you wanted to give a disclaimer. Yes. Um, mostly, I just want to remind everybody that in no way am I an expert on any of these topics that we talk about here. Anything that I've researched for myself has been for my own personal knowledge, and I just love sharing that with people. So if your experience is different than mine, that's totally okay. Just know that anything that I talk about here, I'm especially with tarot, like I'm speaking from my own personal experience. The way that I'm going to talk about reading the cards is just how I do it. It's not the only way to do this. And if you do it differently than I do, that's totally fine. I would actually really love to hear from any of our listeners who do read these things differently, because I think uh, the more that we can talk about perspective and the more we can talk about how we all do things, uh, the greater understanding we all begin to have. So that's my disclaimer. Just know that I'm teaching this information from my own experience and not from any like sort of position of authority in any way. I think that's a really great disclaimer because after watching many a tarot tube on YouTube, everyone has a different point of view, a different perspective, a different way of reading, a different way they were taught. And that could be years ago. It could be more recent. So I think just embodying that people do things differently and have different interpretations and perspectives is really good just in general. Just be open-minded. Yeah. Always come into these things with an open mind because you might learn something awesome. Yes, exactly. So before we get into Sheena's teachings of the tarot, I thought I would just chime in really quick about my history with tarot cards, which is very brief. It's very recent. So... <laughs> As you recall in the Oracle card episode, um, that's kind of what I was comfortable with at the time. And then literally, like no joke, a week after I was like, I think I just needed to talk it out because I feel called to buy some tarot cards. So I uh, got a deck. It was the Guardians of the Night tarot deck. And ever since then, I now own two total tarot decks, two oracle decks, but I did do a pre-order of another tarot, an oracle deck that should be coming. Um, I think they probably would have come here by the time this episode goes out. So I'm very excited for that. Um, but as far as like tarot, it's not something that I grew up even knowing about. It was never on my radar whatsoever. This is more of a recent thing in my life. One of my best and dearest friends got into tarot cards and I don't know her history with it, but I know that she was into like Zodiacs, tarot, those types of things when she was like a young adult. And now she's like a full-fledged adult and she's getting back into these things over the last few years. And so I was kind of her guinea pig with readings and learning the tarot and just getting 
yeah, readings from her, but I didn't really have like an interest in learning tarot. If anything, for me, it's pretty intimidating because there is just so much and we're going to get into that. I mean, there's the suits and how those are like a normal deck of playing cards and how those can correlate and numerology and planetary line, all that stuff. Like there's so much to just even one card that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to memorize this. Like I just, <laughs> you know, immediately hard pass, but Oracle cards, as we've talked about in that episode, offer more variety, offer more of an explanation, um, meaning like it's not just a fixed system, if that makes sense. There's more variety. Um, so that's what I felt more comfortable with at the time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my history with it. And now today I have so many friends in my friend group and my friend group has really evolved over the last, like I would say five years mm -hmm. ever since I moved uh, to where I live now. It's like, I have the bestest friends that you know, are into these things like you, my, my, I have like so many other friends that are into tarot. Like it's, it's wild, <laughs> but I'm very appreciative of it because it's opening up my mind and my experiences. I even found out my mom does tarot, which was a recent, uh, discovery. So I'm like, mom, like we could talk about these things. So yeah. <laughs> spirituality, tarot, astrology has always not tarot, I shouldn't say, but the other things have always been a big part of my life. And I feel like tarot could be the missing piece. And mm. that's why I'm now ready and open to dive into it. And I think maybe if you want to consider this a disclaimer or maybe just a statement, but I feel like there's this what's the word? Like this stigma, I think mm. is the word around like, you have to memorize everything and every meaning and everything. Otherwise you're a crappy tarot reader. And that's not true. I think looking at the guidebooks, referencing the guidebooks are key to what the author and the creator wants you to do. Like they have a different perspective. They have a, a certain like intention with the cards and their designs and things like that. If you're not using the traditional Rider Waite Smith deck, um, because there's so many tarot decks out there. There's so many yeah. designs, so many different like perspectives. Like some of the YouTubers that I watch are into like goddesses and and that thing. And that's like the things I don't even know about and don't really understand. But <laughs> there's just a lot of variety out there. But I think looking at the guidebooks is really helpful and beneficial to your practice. And I think also just realizing like, it's okay to look at the guidebook when you're giving a reading. Yeah. It takes away that stigma. It takes away that pressure and expectation of memorizing everything. And this is where you and I are a little bit different. Like I don't like to be wrong. Like I want to know the facts <laughs> and I like feel like that's in the guidebook. Like I could be, let's just say I'm giving you a reading for example, and I pull like three of swords. Mm -hmm. I could be like, oh, this means love and you're going to find the love of your life. Like, that's totally wrong. But like, I don't want to be wrong. So I'm going to look at the guidebook <laughs> instead of like talking down my ass. Anyway, <laughs> so that's my history with tarot. It's very recent. Like I said, it's very new and I'm very excited to continue learning more on this journey. Um, I will say one thing that helped me and I'll link it also in the description is making a tarot journal. 
I made a tarot journal for the Guardian of the Night tarot. I want to do one for the Moonchild tarot. I just need to fix my printer, but that's another story. So <laughs> making a tarot journal was so much fun. First of all, it allowed me to get crafty and I was able to like express myself and also learn the Rider Waite Smith version and also learn like what this author's interpretation is for the cards that she created. So Creating a tarot journal is great. Taking notes, practicing with your friends, your family, whoever's open to a reading. Yeah, I think that you touched on a lot of really good things there. Like mostly I think it's important to remember that every single deck is going to read a little bit differently. And like you said, it's a lot of that comes from like the creator's intention, right? Um, we can always base a basic idea of what these cards are going to mean off of Ryder Smith Waite decks because that's the original meaning and if you are if you're kind of like a purist when it comes to things like that and you want to learn what the base meaning is i cannot recognize recommend the book 78 degrees of wisdom enough it touches on all of that she does a great job of explaining what the original meaning of some of these cards was and the imagery going into the imagery of the cards and you'll find especially if you have multiple decks that there are always some commonality between each of the cards so you mentioned the three of swords the three of swords looks completely different in every deck but there are some really key elements that will show up in every single deck because it does have like a specific meaning Mm hmm. Exactly. Okay. So um, the other thing that I want to mention is that I have been going through with my Patreon people and teaching this class recently. We will be wrapping up this class probably in December of this year. And if you would like more information about that, we can put links to that in the show notes so that you can find it easily. And if you ever need somebody to practice with, you can totally join the Patreon. The tiers start at $3 a month, which is next to nothing. And you can try it for free for a week. So if you would like to join, we have tons of people there. There's all kinds of spreads in there. Everybody is great to, you know, do practice readings and all that stuff. So my history with tarot is very similar to my history with plants. I was diagnosed pretty young with a condition that led to me being on medication for a long time. I was medicated for 12 years and I kind of struggled with it because it was a situation where I don't feel like any of the medication that I took ever really worked. I mean, it helped, right? It helped me create a situation where I was able to go internal and deal with what I needed to deal with, but it wasn't ever 100% what I needed. And so over time, I ended up having to switch medication a lot. And that's not to say that like that doesn't happen. That happens with a lot of people. And certainly if you take medication and it works for you, please keep taking it. I'm not advocating for anybody like going off of their meds or anything like that. But I, I would say be an advocate for yourself. You know, have these conversations with whoever your prescribing physician or psychiatrist or, you know, whatever your situation is, please be an advocate for yourself. If something isn't working, speak up. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're getting what you need uh, because that's that's their job, right? It's their job to make sure that you're being taken care of. Mm -hmm. And if something's not working, it's up to you to make sure that you let them know so that you can get something that does work. My situation is not super unique. There's a lot of people who go through what I went through. And in 2017, I... I had kind of gone back and forth 
in 20 end of 2016 i went back and forth a little bit where i was like this isn't working anymore um something needs to change i was really struggling with what am i supposed to do like how do i handle this situation and the hard thing about me medicated for that long is that i had kind of lost touch with the core of who myself was i didn't really know who i was you know and and i was medicated for a lot of the years that um people traditionally would have figured that out right so m pretty much my whole 20s and a little bit i was about 30 let's see i was 32 when i started really questioning this it was right around my 32nd birthday and i was like this isn't working you know i was very frustrated i felt i felt like i had been very mismanaged which is mm. super hard and I knew, like, my gut just knew that there had to be another answer. And so I was always looking for that other answer, right? Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with my husband. I think I've touched on this in previous episodes where I was like, I don't know what to do. And I remember having the conversation and just crying because I was like, I'm so frustrated because nothing's working. And I feel like it's the square peg and round hole thing, right? Like I'm yeah. trying to force something that just doesn't belong there. And after talking and um, working it out with him and then also having a conversation with my kids to let them know what was going on ahead of time, we decided that I would experiment with this, right? So I went off of my medication and it was toward the end of 2016 and I had a really, really bad depressive episode. So I had to go back on and it was very scary for me. There was a period of time where like I did not feel safe in my own body. And I told my husband, I was like, I think you need to take me to a hospital mm -hmm. because I'm scared. And he was mm -hmm. like, well, what are you afraid of? And I was like, I just don't feel safe in my body. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay. He's like, well, I'll be extra, you know, careful. I'll help you watch for symptoms of things going wrong. And if it gets really bad, then, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And I did have kind of a breakthrough after that. Mm -hmm. It's the first time that I've ever openly communicated that I was struggling. And, and for anybody who's been in that situation, you know how difficult that is. Everybody always is like, well, just reach out to your friends. Like, if you're struggling, please tell me. I'm not going to tell you. Right? right. Like I there's so much shame wrapped up in feeling those feelings that we don't speak up. Right. Our society has done such a good job of creating this really terrible shame loop around mental health. Mm -hmm. So when people are struggling, they don't speak out. You yeah. have to know people well enough to catch those signs and they're not always going to be obvious. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the thing that really was tricky um we worked our way through that and about six months later i was like okay no i really want to go off of medication and just see what happens so i tapered down i worked worked with getting off of that and it was really really hard because i had a lot of symptoms of ptsd that i was working through um, from the things I had been through in my childhood. And those, when I was coming off of medication, became far more pronounced. Uh, they were a lot more prominent in my life. And that was really hard to get through. So I had previously been through therapy. I kind of knew some tools, you know, to cope with what was going on in my life. And then I spent the rest of the year kind of working out. This was this was like June, right? So that would have been, what year is it? 
that would have been like four, no, six years ago. So it was six years ago in June, going through all of that, trying to figure those things out and trying to establish a routine because at that point in time, like I didn't really have one, right? I had just gone back and started working full time, um, which helped me create the container for that routine, which was great. But there was a lot of challenges that came with that. So in 2018, I've mentioned before, I kind of had a year where I just was like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what I like. What is my favorite food? I have no idea because I've been medicated my whole life. So yeah, I was just saying yes to a lot of things. And I got the opportunity to travel and to do some really cool stuff. And it really helped me figure out who I am as an individual. And like huge thank you to my family for being so supportive as I was going through all of that, because I am sure that was super weird for them. You know, <laughs> I was so Aww. different. So 2019, I spent a lot of time at that point, I had finished up that year of saying yes to a lot of things. And 2019, I was preparing to compete in the Scottish Highland Games with my husband, which we had trained for about a year and a half to do. That was probably the scariest yes that I've ever had <laughs> was going into that because we showed up. And first of all, the games that we were planning to compete in did not have a novice class that year. So we went the day before and competed in strongman instead. Most of the events are very similar. There were only six women competing and I was one of them. So wow. there were two women per class. They have a novice class, an intermediate, and then like, a, I don't remember what they called it, but it's more of like a, a pro class, like people who have trained and done this, you know, for a long time before. So if you've competed for two years, you automatically get bumped into that pro level. So I got there to the sign-in desk and there was a lady there that had won Previously, she had won the fourth strongest woman in the world contest, and she was very wow. intimidating. I mean, she was very formidable. Like, mm -hmm. we show up to the table, and I was like, oh, God, like, I'm competing with that. She was intense and, like, just incredible. Anyway, so I signed the paper. I was, like, terrified. And I was like, nope, I'm here. I'm doing the thing. And I signed the paper and then I walked up and introduced myself, which is not something that I would have done previously. And I shook her hand and she was the sweetest human I've ever met. I absolutely adore her. Um, anyway, so we became friends um, hanging out there. And like the other women who were there also became friends. And um, I still talk to them off and on to this day, which is cool. They're some of the coolest people. Like if you've ever wondered about those competitors, like the strongman people are a totally different breed of human. <laughs> and the Highland Games people are the same way. Like they're ridiculous and silly and so much fun. So we did that. And then shortly after that was when I did that year for Christmas, I did my DNA test and mm. found out, you know, who for sure who my birth father was. And then I found out also a lot about my mom's family, which I didn't have a lot of information about previously. So that was when I started really tapping into like my grandmother, right? And I've talked to her, talked about her previously um, when we were talking about the plants and stuff that I really wanted to fix the connection that I had to her because I didn't have a strong one and she passed away in 2008. So uh, this was like 11 years after she had passed that I was like, okay, I really need to 
associate differently with my relationship with her because she was such a great person in my life, but I wasn't super close to her. And I was like, well, it sucks, you know, that she's gone and now I want to be close to her. But, but I was like, well, I can do that through studying the things that she loved. Right. And the things that she loved was plants. She always had worked with herbs and uh, juices and essential oils and like all the things. So I was like, let me understand her better by understanding the things that she loved. And through that, that kind of was a doorway to all these other things because I had found out that my mom's family is primarily Irish. She has a very mm. strong line of Irish people. They emigrated to the U.S. I've been able to find most of uh, their history, ship manifests where they traveled across the seas, all this stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I want to really get in touch with that as well. So mm -hmm. that's when I started studying like the Celtic Wheel of the Year and all of that stuff, which I've talked about before as well. And yeah. through that, there's a lot of things like all of these things kind of weave together, right? They're all associated mm -hmm. with each other. Once you're into one of them, it's really easy to get into the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always been fascinated by astrology. Even when I was young, I think I was like 14 or 15. And I had borrowed like a book from my aunt that I was like, oh, I want to learn more about this. And so I was reading about that. And even younger than that, like I was obsessed with space when I was a kid. When I was really little, I wanted to be an astronaut, like to the level that I wrote a letter to NASA and like asked them for information. And NASA was so cool because they sent me information back. They sent me like this huge packet, you know, of all the information about how to become an astronaut. And of course, because I'm a manifesting generator, that changed. But <laughs> it was super cool that they sent me the information back. So space has always been on my radar. I've always loved planets and and objects in space and asteroids and all the things. So, you know, all of these things relate really well to each other, which I think you kind of touched on a little bit in your intro as well. And so I just, it was an easy segue into tarot. And it came up and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. And, you know, kind of had to sit with it a little bit, but it kept coming up. And so, you know, like that's my rule. If it keeps coming up, then I'm like, okay, I need to explore this a little bit deeper and see how it resonates with me. And I found the line strider deck, which is the one that I have. And I referenced it in our Oracle episode. So I bought myself that deck. And, and for some people they'll say, oh, you have to be like gifted your first deck. And I don't ascribe to that. So I was like, yeah. no, like I can buy my own deck. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so I I got that one and started just pulling cards for myself. And I started out just pulling one card every day mm -hmm. and writing down what I thought about it. What stands out to me about this card? Um, and then after I wrote down my own thoughts, then I would open up the reference book and I would see, okay, here's what the intention of the artist was. And writing down both of those things, just creating kind of, it's kind of like a journal, you know, where you reflect back on it and you can see those things. But the more that you do that, the more you start to pick up on those common elements as you go through your deck and going first on what your instinct about the card is, you can either confirm it or reinforce it by reading the book, right? So I did that for, it was probably a year and then I put up a, just a question on my Instagram story and would let people just drop an emoji in there so that it was anonymous. So, you know, then I'm not causing issues for other people because I do live in an area where some of this stuff is 
not really mm, mainstream. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, my, I have a friend that calls it like the underground. <laughs> that, that like all this stuff is not, you know, mainstream. A lot of people don't talk about it. So I started doing that on Instagram and I would just pull like one card and then I started pulling like three cards. And then I was like, okay, let's do a full reading. And it just, you know, took shape over time. Mm-hmm. and became what it was and now because i have last time i counted i think i have 12 decks mm-hmm. i really don't need another one right like I don't <laughs> so many but if anybody doesn't know what to give me that's what they give me is a tarot deck which is kind it. of funny but there's a couple of them that i really love that i pull from often my main deck is always going to be the line strider deck because that's what i learned on and mm-hmm. those meanings of those cards are really easy for me to figure out. It's mm-hmm. kind of difficult when you switch to a different kind of deck because the meaning can be slightly different. And I have one from the Threads of Fate, which their decks are absolutely beautiful. But the symbolism is so different mm-hmm. that it's really hard for me to pull from that deck. I just need to spend more time with it, I think. But mm-hmm. Their symbolism is very similar to the traditional Ryder Smith weight symbolism. Right. So there's a lot of correlation there. And if I spent more time reading from it, I probably could figure it out. But yeah. I just love the meaning of this Lion's Rider deck so much that that's what I always go to. That's kind of what my history with it was. Um, the first time that I ever pulled cards, I don't want to say publicly because I did that on Instagram, but like in that person? I was paid yeah paid Mm -hmm. to pull cards for people was in I think it was in 2021 Mm. um I went to a retreat and I think I've mentioned that retreat before with a good friend of mine and it was very confirming up until that point I had not pulled cards for anybody like in person because I was scared. I felt the same way that you feel about it where I was like, I don't want to be wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I had worked with it for a year and a half by the time that I had ever pulled, you know, for someone else. Yeah. And I was like, that's dumb, like to be worried about being wrong. Like (laughs) I know these cards like the back of my hand, but that fear was still there, you know, like that second guessing. And I think that that always comes when you are doing work with your own intuition, right? Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what the tarot became for me was learning how to work with my own intuition. Yes. And when you don't have a lot of practice with that, it's scary. Yeah. And I think... I mean, there can be, there's so much that can be said about that, but before I forget, there's a couple of things I want to mention. So going mm-hmm. back to like your own, your own interpretation and your own, um, kind of like you said, intuition in my tarot journal. And I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, it might've been one of our chatty ones, mm-hmm. but in my tarot journal, I do have a section for each card as I learn them and play with them for my own interpretation, but I did it backwards. I did it like the actual meaning. And then as I play with it, like what I pick up from it. That's cool. Also, because I am learning at the same time, like the traditional usage versus the author's interpretation of the cards that I have. So I just did it all in one. Um, (laughs) And then another thing too, talking about like different cards um, and different decks and different interpretations. I'm also a very seasonal person. I change with the seasons aesthetically, my mood, visually, like I Mm -hmm. am just a different person versus in in every season. 
So the Guardian of the Night Tarot, now that I have some other decks, to me embodies fall and winter. Mm. So I spent the good amount of springtime creating this journal around this deck. And then I got a different deck. I got the Moon Child, and I'm like, oh, this is a spring summer deck. Yeah. So that means Guardian of the Night Tarot is a fall winter. So I have not played with it as much, but come this as this episode goes up, it's fall time. I'll be playing around with that deck some more so I can dabble in the journal that I made for this deck. So nice. I think that's another another way you can like, you know, use all your decks or use because you have 12. Mm -hmm. I have two. So like you could just like pick and choose on the season, on your mood, or even on if you're giving a reading to someone, you could pick mm -hmm. up on their vibe and be like, I think this deck is going to work for you. Yeah. You know? So I just want to throw that, throw that out there. Yeah. I think that that's totally valid. I have a friend that pulls tarot and she often will bring multiple decks to a reading and you get to choose which one resonates with you. And I would love to get to a point that I'm comfortable doing that, that the meanings between them are solidified enough in my own mind that when I'm pulling, I know what those meanings are and I don't second guess myself so much, but I still, I still feel that hesitation. Right. right. We were just talking about this, like right before we started recording that I still have things that come up in my life where I question, you know, and I'm like, I feel pulled to do something specific. And I always have that initial response of I'm not ready, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for that. But I think sometimes the best way to maybe break that down is to say that like, that's, that's my ego, like being nervous about being wrong. Right. But still feeling that nudge and that push forward, like that's my soul, like pushing me into the things that I'm meant to do. And mm -hmm. that's a really tough space to spend a lot of time in because it's hard to know the difference unless you practice. So it's the same thing, right? Like mm -hmm. just practicing to know the difference between what is your ego telling you like something out of fear and mm -hmm. what is your soul pushing you into the things you're meant to do, which we talked about before. I'm yes. Sure. Um there that actually reminds me of an Instagram reel that I saw like a couple days ago where mm -hmm. it was like what's the difference between fear and anxiety or your intuition. Yeah. And it went into this whole thing whereas if something is coming from your intuition it's going to have a more optimistic good feeling about it yeah. versus you know when you're like you have those like intrusive thoughts or like you're like, is this a message? Is this a warning? Like, what is this? That's yeah. the fear and anxiety. But if you're actually getting a download to your intuition, it'll be a very good feeling. Um, yeah. A, a positive way to like move forward. Yeah. There's not often fear involved when it's just your intuition, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing that is really hard. I've had a lot of people ask me, especially um, since I started pulling tarot like publicly for people, a lot of people have asked, you know, how do you work with your intuition? And I was like, I don't really know the answer to that. You know, I would love to be able to give you just like a really easy cut and dry answer that says like, oh, you just have to do this thing, right? Here's right. the five simple steps or whatever, because that's what we love so much. But there really aren't five simple steps. Like mm -hmm. you have to just do it. And, and I hate that answer because it's not easy, right? Like that's a hard answer, but ultimately it is the answer. The only way for you to do it is to do it. You just have mm -hmm. to jump. And there again, like 
the fool, the fool. right? <laughs> Leap of the net will appear. No, screw that. Like that's scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of my history with it. It's it's long and drawn out and I don't know. I kind of wish that I had had more experience earlier on with it as well. I mm -hmm. wish that I could say, oh, I've been doing this for so long. Right. And mm -hmm. at this point in time, like now I have, I've been pulling for several years. I do it regularly. Um, and I'm pretty comfortable pulling from most decks unless the symbolism is completely different. And then that, you know, just requires new association learning, mm -hmm. but most of the time like i know what the cards mean and i don't i don't lean into the traditional meaning as much anymore like mm -hmm. most of the time the cards kind of just become like a catalyst to start the conversation for my intuition and then i just let it go from there and i don't know if that i don't know what to call that is that like tapping into somebody else's energy is that like I don't know what that is I just know that it's my intuition and I'm just listening like all mm -hmm. I'm doing is becoming the mouthpiece for whatever wants to move through I have a couple of friends who have been really supportive going through that you being one of them that everybody's like no like just say whatever's coming through and I'm like it doesn't have anything to do with the cards Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with what I just pulled, but the message right. is there and it has to come through. And that is that I think is more nerve wracking than like being wrong. Right. <laughs> because then I'm telling you something that has nothing to do with what I just pulled, but it activates something and mm -hmm. that's what's coming through. So right. it's interesting anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we can go on a whole tangent about, um how like the gifts come out like you yeah. have a particular gift so if i need a reading that is particular to like in the moment or like you said it could spark something else just by pulling a card and it could be completely unrelated but it could be what i need to hear in the moment i have another girlfriend who is like future readings one of my other girlfriends who does tarot readings she is really good at picking up on auras so she oh, can like the last reading she gave me which was really on point about myself self like my inner self and what i think mm -hmm. of who i am and things like that she like I she handed me the cards to like hold for a few moments and I gave it back to her and I was like joking and I like totally like shook them up mm -hmm. and she's like oh girl like your energy like your aura is like whoa it's a lot I'm like well I did just you know <laughs> I am infused you know I'm a yeah. lot on the inside I don't project it I'm very calm on the outside but inside I'm a hot mess so she <laughs> but it was it was really cool to see that you know that everyone has their own individual yeah. special gifts when it comes to tarot readings yeah for sure i think everybody kind of brings their own flavor to it right and that's mm -hmm. why i was like i don't think anybody reads them the same way i think everybody does it a little bit differently and like i love that i think that's so mm -hmm. cool but i feel the same way about like reiki and everything else that i do that everybody does it so differently that we all have something special that we add yeah to whatever you know the the practice that we have and that we cultivate is we all add something special to it and to discount that or to try to say that that's not part of it. I think that's a disservice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can move in to the meat of what the tarot is. So 
most decks are going to have around 78 cards, right? The 56 cards are the minor arcana, and that's what you kind of touched on earlier, talking about that being very close to a deck of playing cards. You're going to have a page, a knight, a queen, and a king, and that is the same as, like, the joker, the queen, the king, and what's the other one? Jack. Jack, thank you. Um, it's going to be similar to those. So that portion of it back in, uh, I wish I could remember the exact dates, but there was a period of time where in Europe, the Catholic Church outlawed the use of tarot. And that's a little bit of the history of it, that people who were in the world of divination would then use a traditional playing card deck to read the tarot. And there's, you know, not a ton of information about that, but it is very interesting to know. So that leaves us with the Major Arcana having around 22 cards. And the reason I say around is because not every deck has 78. Some of them have 79. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of decks that have an extra Major Arcana card. It just depends on the deck, right? Most of them are going to be 78. Every once in a while, you'll get a little bonus card there in... The major arcana there are a lot of archetypes within both of these so so in the minor arcana you have the numbers one through ten right and those correlate to numerology so if you understand numerology tarot is going to be a pretty easy thing to transition into because you're already going to understand that number one through ten and what those signify and then you have the four court cards which like i said are the page the knight the queen and the king in my mind the way that i read those is the page is kind of a youthful energy very similar to the fool the knight is kind of that adolescent energy i like to describe that often as like a teenager right um very foolhardy and jumping into things and moving very quickly it often represents needing to take swift action when something comes into your sphere then you have the queen which is somebody who's very nurturing it could also represent like a mother figure or someone that you look up to and then the king is it could be like a father figure, but it could also just represent the mastery of whatever that suit is. So mm -hmm. the king of pentacles, for instance, would be the mastery of the suit of pentacles. And pentacles represent like the earth element. So that could be financial stuff. That could be mastery of um, your physical home, mastery of your physical world, things like that. Major Arcana, we can actually split that into... I like to split it into two parts. Some people even go as far as three parts. And I believe in the 78 degrees of wisdom, she does break it into three distinct phases of life. I tend to look at it more as two distinct phases of life because I feel like there's a lot of wisdom in that second section. Mm -hmm. And to break that apart, in my mind, kind of muddies the water a little bit and it's harder to understand but if that's the way that you understand it like you do you that's totally mm -hmm. fine the first eight I like to look at as representing like the first half of your life so that would be like your your childhood your teenage years and like early adulthood and this is going through the phases of I guess the phases of life and it kind of starts with the fool, right? And in numerology, the fool actually is the number zero. In a lot of decks, the fool might show up as the card numbered one, 
but it is actually the number zero, which is nothing, right? And that is kind of signifying that the first step in every journey is that's where the fool comes in, right? Like there's no wisdom, there's no knowledge. You're kind of just jumping into something. Now, I don't resonate with that as a Capricorn <laughs> because everything I do has research behind it. That's also um, a human design first line thing. I have to build a foundation of knowledge before I can take that first step. Mm -hmm. The idea of like leap in the net will appear, it scares the shit out of me. I don't like that. It makes me yeah. very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, but a lot no. of people struggle with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good time. But also, like, like you said, the fool, the little that I know, just reminds me of like, like a teenager who has to learn the hard way. Almost, yeah. you have to learn the hard way, but that's how you accumulate the lessons to move mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, and those lessons tend to stick a little bit better, right? Mm -hmm. When you learn them through your own experience. So I think that it is important. The fool is, I like to see that if it shows up in a reading as maybe sometimes that is something that's hiding in plain sight. Because mm -hmm. usually that's what it represents, especially if you get this as a stalker card. I have a friend who pulled this card in every spread for about a week and then found out that there was some issues in her apartment so and she was like i should have caught that you know <laughs> like she was like now i know why it's here you know stuff that should have been caught but wasn't so right. that's kind of the hiding in plain sight element it's also seen in mythology as being really similar to the trickster which would be like the god loki you know in norse mythology or it could be like a jester from the medieval era so it's kind of like this goofy silly energy that shows up sometimes and sometimes that can also represent needing to tap into that youthful side of things not being so structured so when it shows up for me it's kind of it usually represents like stop trying to know all the things before you make a decision like it's okay to just go with your gut and make a decision right can um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one for me to pull. And it's funny because there are some cards, especially in the major arcana, that people tend to be like wary of. I don't want to say afraid because I don't think afraid is the right word. But when they come up, it kind of is like a punch to the gut a little bit, right? Like, so if you pull a tower card immediately, people are like, oh, no, the tower um, mm -hmm. or death. Death also kind of has that or the devil. Those three cards always have like that initial like oh no like that recoil away from whatever that represents well and as capricorns our card is devil so i'm not yes i actually em embrace that and i think i also embrace the death card what yeah. always makes me nervous is the tower card but i also think it depends on the imagery of the card so like yeah the moon child tarot that i'm absolutely obsessed with i feel like that tower card is not as intense as the guardian of the night because the guardian of the night has the imagery of like a lightning strike completely mm. breaking apart a tree but the moon child it's just this like tower in a like ocean with people jumping out of the window just hold on yeah. i'm gonna pull it up here just to see and that's a really common imagery for the tower card is that people are jumping from a building 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know we're kind of jumping ahead a bit, but no, it's okay. On the topic. Yeah. The waters are calm though, which is interesting. The sky mm-hmm. is like lightning. Um, it's dark. It's moody. It's actually black and white, but within the towers, almost in the background, you see color. So mm-hmm. it almost provides like a hopeful vibe, but other cards yeah. again are, can be more intense depending on not other cards other decks can be more intense depending on the author's depiction yeah that's true so the next card is the magician and the magician is actually the number one in numerology it's learning how to create and manifest and the magician card is interesting because every deck has the depiction of the magician with all four elements at its side. So the magician is creating using the four elements. And that's what the manifestation piece of this is. But I also have noticed that most decks, I don't know about all of them, but most of the ones that I've seen, the magician also has an infinity symbol on it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that meaning that the possibilities are endless. Then we have the High Priestess, which is card number two. And this is learning to accept help from other people. It represents possibilities that have not yet been realized, but it also relies on the other cards in the spread to figure out what the meaning of this card is. And that's where I think relying on the help from other people in your circle really comes through with the meaning of that card. Number three is the Empress. And this is my life path card. This one is tough. Uh, It's usually a reminder of self-care, but also the feminine nature. And for me, because I have a past that has so much trauma, I have lived a very large portion of my life in my masculine energy, trying Mm -hmm. to create my own structure, trying to be protective, right? All the things that I like to think of masculine and feminine. We all have those energies inside of us, right? To some degree. And sometimes it varies, you know, Mm -hmm. and through different phases of life, you might lean more into one or the other. I like to think of the masculine as like a riverbank. So it creates the structure. It creates the solid forms. It's, it's kind of the container. And then I think of the feminine as being the river that flows within the riverbank, that it's fluid and ever-changing, but it also can be really intense sometimes. And then other times it's really calm. So yeah. those are the ways that I relate that. Um, if if you have a different method, that's totally fine. But I would love to hear anybody's thoughts on that if you have like a different way of relating that please send us an email we would love to hear from you we do have a couple um, of emails that we're going to cover in our next episode which is a recap so stay tuned for that because that's going to be fun yeah that's kind of how I look at the empress it's also the delight and frustration right of life Um, Mm -hmm. it represents a lot of things and I feel like I know this card really well because I I have that energy all the time present in my life. It's a tough one. A lot of it is based on a deep inner knowledge and basically like laying the groundwork for seeds in the future to sprout and grow. So the Empress is a really interesting card. It can also represent like deep emotions, clarity, some coldness maybe toward other people when it's in reverse. Like there's a lot of things going on with this card. Well, if this is a riverbank and femininity is the water 
my riverbank is dried up and there is a drought going on because I live in that masculine energy because mm. of trauma. Yeah, it'll do that to you for sure. So <laughs> I need to let the dam release the flow, <laughs> which I am working on in therapy. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. The next one is card number four, and this is the emperor. And this card, so if the empress is that fluid feminine nature, the emperor is the riverbank, right? That's the structure that holds everything together. It is a symbol of capability and knowledge. It's also linked to our social world, the laws of our society, the power to enforce those laws, and all the structures. So that could be like education, that could be, you know, all kinds of different things. I tend to read the emperor as a father figure most of the time. When it comes up in a reading, it represents that for me. Um, the empress often represents the mother figure. It doesn't necessarily mean that one way is right or wrong. It's just one way to look at it. Okay, so the next one is number five, and that's the hierophant. The hierophant is also called the pope card in the traditional deck. Uh, it represents organization, which could be religion, government, education, just like these systems that have like rules and things that you have to follow. It could represent society, could represent, yeah, anything like that. So if you think of all of those things, they all have like rules and there's certain criteria that you have to meet in order to progress and things like that. I think this might be my life path card because my life path number is five. Yes, which it would be. I feel like doesn't relate to me, but maybe as I get older, I can see how it's relating. So I think this is my my card. Yeah, uh, that would make the Hierophant your card. So mm -hmm. this is a really interesting card. Societal institutions is really what it represents. So this is duality because it's the outer way, which is well known, but like our society, we know what the rules of society are. But then there's the balance of the inner way, which can be kind of a secret, right? So if you don't do a lot of work with your intuition, that inner secret way is going to be a lot harder to pin down. And you're going to live a lot of your life based on that outer known way. And the challenge of that is that it can create really a lot of situations where it's ripe for triggering your anxiety or depression. And that comes from these external rules that don't make sense, that you're trying so hard to fit in and follow they can be just really challenging, you know? Well, and I think that really hits the nail on the head. Be and we've talked about this in past conversations and even episodes that are, are coming up that I'm having a really hard time with how society functions because it's not aligning with my values, but yeah. it's so far out of my control that sometimes I do feel like there's a helplessness, there's a hopelessness. Mm. And it just reminds me that I have to control what's in my bubble and my circle because I can't fix the earth. I can't fix the way society in America, at least that I'm, you know, that's where I live. So it's like, I can't fix that, but yeah. I can control what I do and that's going to have to be good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, um, I think in the end, it really is learning how to work with your relationship to those things because you can't change those, but you can certainly change your relationship to them. Right. Yes. And be, be an observer with compassion for whatever's happening in those situations. It's really the mastery of that duality, 
right? Mm. That that polar situation where like there's all this external stuff that you're like, what the hell? Like this doesn't make sense. And that internal calm, right? Because that external stuff feels really chaotic and busy and yeah. scary. And that internal stuff is so like there is a calm within that and yeah. allowing both of those things to exist at the same time. That's mm. really the hard part, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so the next card is number six and this is the lovers and this card is often representative of relationships and it's not always romantic relationships right this can also represent really close friendships it can also point toward your relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. So if you have a life path six, this is going to be your card. It also can point to a choice or critical decision in your life, especially if this comes up with swords, because swords are usually mental element, right? And having mm -hmm. to make decisions. The Lovers is one of my favorite cards in the deck that I have, the Lion Strider deck. It is represented by two cranes and cranes are my favorite. So yeah. That's a pretty cool card. Um, yeah. I really love when I pull the levers because it it is often a good omen. It doesn't usually mean anything negative. So number seven is the chariot. And if you follow things like this, you'll know that 2023 is a year number seven, which means we're in a chariot year as a whole, as like a society. This is a symbol of desire, creation, control, maturity, and balance between the ego and the higher self. The chariot is a really intense card. I mean, this is going to be coming out in October. So if you are feeling any of that, this will maybe help explain <laughs> why you're feeling some of those things and if you want to know like you can calculate your own card for the year um, if you want to know how to do that i'll put a link to a spreadsheet that kind of goes through how to calculate that we've done that in the patreon group mm -hmm. and it's kind of helpful it helps you kind of balance you know what's going on and and give a different lens to how to view what's happening in your life. So that's helpful. So that's the first eight cards in this major arcana. We didn't talk um, about strength yet. Oh, yes. Strength <laughs> is number eight, but yeah. this actually is the mastery of okay. the first section. So remember at the beginning, we kind of talked about how this first section is like the younger part of your life. And that makes sense because we have like the hierophant representing your um, structures, right? So that could represent the school system, your societal beliefs, the things that you conform to um, and like living in your parents' house, you know, things like that. The chariot is the desire to step outside of what that structure is and figure things out for yourself but it also kind of represents coming up on the mastery of this first phase of life mm -hmm. and if you know anything about that you know that we never really master it we always repeat these cycles right <laughs> it's literally so, in my chart that i repeat cycles and i'm always in a cycle so can relate yeah <laughs> i think most people will find that relatable mm -hmm. um so strength really represents the beginning of the second half Mm. of this life right and and it's kind of the turning point because strength is usually represented by a person and a beast 
often it's a woman with a lion and it represents the taming of the inner beast by going through each of these steps of the first cycle. You learn a lot about yourself as you go through these phases of life, right? The inner beast represents impulse and emotion and the taming of that is working through each of these previous steps to get to this point. So there's a lot of lessons that can be learned at each of these points in the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The cool thing is that the strength represents the ability to to face challenges of life and the strength to take on difficulty and face fear. So I really love the um, symbolism of the strength card for mm -hmm. that reason, because it is a reminder that you can feel the fear and do it anyway, right? right? I love that. Okay, so now we're into number nine, and this is kind of the beginning of the second half, and this is the hermit card. The Hermit is such a great card. It's my card of 2023, and I love that for me. <laughs> so the Hermit is a period of turning inward. It is a symbol of taking the alternate path and not being afraid. The Hermit has a lantern in most cards, and the lantern is your own inner light that illuminates the correct path forward. So this is the beginning of intuition work, right? By mm. turning inward and learning what all of that is. And I just think because this is your Hermit year, it's so fitting that you would take on learning tarot because that's working with your inner self. <laughs> that's true. So in the Moonchild tarot, there's no lantern but she's walking out of it's a female figure shadow walking out of this like beautiful cave and where she's walking towards is a sunny desert. Okay. So I think that's the symbolism of the lantern where you're walking yeah. to that light. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the, the idea of the hermit is that you take all of your life lessons and you turn inward and you kind of synthesize all of that and come up with um, what the what the meat of that lesson is, like the core of that lesson that you've just learned in life. And then the idea is that then you also will turn outward and start sharing the knowledge of that experience. So that's kind of a really important element. It's not just turning inward because I think we often, especially in Western society, we see the hermit as someone who is removed from society maybe or like living in a cave somewhere and like doesn't want contact with other people. Yeah. And that's such an important element of the hermit that they do come out and, and teach those lessons that they've learned from a place of wisdom. Right. And I think for me in this time of my life, like – us doing this podcast, me really channeling like my my bullet journal stuff and evolving there and, you know, just putting aside that fear of showing up and putting myself out there and not letting the external world like get to me. That's definitely a lesson that I'm I'm trying to embody this year and, and move forward from. So it makes sense. I, I love the hermit card. I love the idea of the hermit and you even said like to watch me like come out of this shell, you see it. So I know I'm making progress. Yeah, for okay. sure. It's really cool too, because if you think of the symbolism of the fool, which is zero, mm -hmm. the hermit is really similar to that, but it's stepping into these situations with that inner knowledge instead mm -hmm. of, you know, the foolhardy step forward, the joyous step in the beginning of the journey. It's, stepping into that with the wisdom and knowledge of having mastered the path. 
Yes. And it, it really reminds me of the, the reading my friend gave me because she did the full Celtic cross spread for me. The first card pulled was the hermit. And of course. <laughs> the whole reading was about the self and That's how awesome. I feel about the self. And it was awesome because I'm like, the hermit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to move to card number 10, which is the Wheel of Fortune. And if you think about the magician, which we talked about before, having all four elements at their disposal, the Wheel of Fortune also channels all four elements. It has a tie to that. And oftentimes the Wheel of Fortune will also have um, the zodiac signs on the card for each of the elements as well. And I believe that it has the cardinal elements, but I'd have to look to confirm. So this signifies a change in circumstances of life and what caused the change is likely to remain unknown, but it is very similar to any other wheel. It always is rotating, right? So sometimes you're going to feel like you're on top of the wheel and like everything's going great and other times you're being run over by it. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of that ebb and flow of life because there's always change coming. <laughs> you're on top of the world or you're being run over by it. I love it. Yes. So no matter where you are, remember that the wheel is always turning. So if you're under the wheel, know that things are going to upright themselves and, and it's going to be okay again until it isn't, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, so that takes us to 11 and that's the justice card. So the justice card, it kind of represents understanding your past experience and informing your decisions in the future. The justice card often has scales on it, which is the balance, right? It's weighing your options and making sure that you're making the best decision from a place of wisdom. Because remember, this is the second half of the major arcana where you've mastered the first few steps and you take the knowledge of mastering that into this decision making. This is also not spontaneous. It requires reflection and understanding. So if you're pulling the justice card in a spread maybe to help you make a decision, this is like a word of caution mm -hmm. to tell you, like, make sure you're fully examining all of the options and that you're investigating what all of the outcomes could be and just making a really solid, grounded decision. Yeah, you don't want to be blindsided by anything. Yeah, it also could represent needing to take responsibility for something. Mm, so if that. there's something that you've overlooked and it's time to take responsibility, that's going to make your decisions a lot easier. So, you know, there's a lot of meaning behind the justice card and a lot of it depends, like most of the cards, on what the other cards in the spread represent. Mm -hmm. So now we're at 12 and this is the hanged man. And the hanged man is one of my favorite cards. It represents independence and being your true self, regardless of acceptance by the outward forces. It's an internal acceptance. The hanged man is not in distress, even though it looks like he might be, because, I mean, the guy's hanging by his foot, right? Or the woman. It depends on the deck. My card yeah. has this as a tiger hanging oh. by one foot. But they're not in distress. They can get themselves out of the position if they choose not to. Yeah, if they choose not to, they're just accepting who and where they are. It can represent like a decision point in your life, but the decision needs to be made from your authentic self, not from outward forces and pressure to make the decision a certain way. Yeah, 
I I like that ideology too. Um, the Moonchild Tarot, the Hangman is, I think he, I think it's a male ballerina. Mm -hmm. So he looks very elegant and almost like in his element being upside down. So yeah. I like that concept of it's like you can accept that you're here or you can change it. You're not tied. And yeah. there's, there's nothing tying this guy being upside down. So yeah, yeah. It's almost it's like cool. they're choosing to just hang, you know, yeah. for a minute. Hang out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So number 13 is the death card. The death card is probably one of the most misunderstood cards in the deck. It actually represents a fear of acceptance and a fear of the unknown if you do accept yourself wholly, which is interesting. In my Lions Rider deck, it's represented by a skull and everything on the outer edge is black and white, but on the inside there's a prism and it's full of color. So it's really a perspective shift. Death also represents, I always describe it as like a burning of the field. When a farmer burns the field, it looks like destruction, right? On the surface, it looks like everything's in chaos and falling apart. But, but really what's happening is through burning that field, the ashes of whatever isn't there anymore is going to nourish the soil so that new things can grow. So death is really like letting go of the things that don't fit anymore and accepting that it's time to let those things go so that there's room for new things to come in. Absolutely. And it's, it's almost like things have to end for a new beginning to start. So that could be a job, a relationship, friendship, you know, it could be anything in your life that mm -hmm. is either forced to come to an end or you have a decision to end it. So something new and beautiful can begin. Yeah, for sure. So last year was my death year. Mm. Oh. And I went through a lot of stuff last year. There was a lot of intentional letting go of old things and like shedding of things that just didn't fit anymore. But also like in the very real sense, I lost my dad. Mm -hmm. So and that was really fascinating because it it was like the closing of a chapter of my life. And then this new chapter just started right, right after. And that was really interesting because I lost my dad in August and in December, my, on my birthday, my card of the year shifted to temperance. So yeah. it was not long after like that closing of that chapter that something new began mm -hmm. and it has been very interesting to figure out what temperance means. Mm -hmm. Like in my life over yeah. the last year. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think it's fun to calculate that out and just give yourself like a little bit of a different perspective for how to look at things. Yeah. And I mean, even just seeing you're always complimenting me on my progress. So now it's my turn. But I think you have come so far in the last year because I know we just hit a year that your dad passed. And I remember before he passed, like a, a few months before or something, it's like you really did the work to process so much, like so much because you're like, I can't move forward in my life holding on to a lot of things and I have to let go and accept and this is going to help me. And I feel like it has, like, I feel like, like I'm tearing up because it's just a beautiful thing, but it's like, you're blossoming into this new version of yourself because you experienced that death year. 
that yeah. you put a lot of stuff, you know, kind of pun intended to, to bed so you can move forward. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this in the loss episode, but like your dad is now here in a way that he couldn't be before. Like he could be in multiple mm -hmm. places at once. He could be around you all the time. So it is a really like positive outlook on the physical loss of a loved one. But I think the work you've done in the last year is just absolutely amazing. And I'm excited to see what temperance is and how you're, you're moving forward, you know, with this card. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So temperance is card number 14, and this is a symbol of moderation and balance in all aspects of life. And I feel like I've been doing that work this year, like just really trying to figure out I, in the past, I've spent a lot of time over committing myself to things and not keeping something in the reserve for myself. And this year I've been trying to figure out when I need more time for myself and how do I build that in so that I'm not overextending all the time. But I've also been really focused on my health and making sure that I'm taking care of myself. It's kind of a reminder. The card is a reminder that without struggle, we can't fully appreciate victory or joy. And I've spent a lot of time this year reflecting back, like you just said, you know, over last year and looking at all the things that had to be released in order for me to really step into the space that I want to be in and do the things that I'm being called to do. And it's really interesting to look at it through that filter, right? Like to see all of those things and then see now I'm like, okay, there's, there has to be balance and being a manifesting generator. It's really hard to know like which one thing I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I don't know that the answer is that there is one thing, right? Like, I think it's a mixture of all the things, but really um, having the opportunity with the balance of everything to gain clarity into what it is that I want to be doing. It's not what am I supposed to be doing anymore? It's what am I wanting to do? What yeah. spaces do I want to spend more time in? And where do I like what plants do I want to grow? Right. Like in this life, like <laughs> what what? you know, tools and things do I want to nurture so that they can become more developed and show up in a much bigger way. And I love the idea of being able to choose and not just being subject to whatever my life path is supposed to be. Like, that's cool. It's cool mm -hmm. to be in, in that space of realizing that I can choose. Oh, absolutely. And I think it goes back to the seasons of your life. Like you could be in a totally different season a year from now, six months from yeah. now. I think you're absolutely right. And like, what you're supposed to do in quotes versus like what you want to do. I think that's like such a beautiful thing because I feel like the supposed to is almost a pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, like an external pressure or like a pressure we could put on ourselves versus like the want yeah. to, because you're into so many different hobbies. It would <laughs> be hard to choose. It makes total sense. So yeah. I think just taking it one season of life at a time and you can grow and cultivate those seeds and you'll have them forever because you're always learning yeah. new things. Yeah, it's awesome. I really like that. Okay, so 15, this is the devil and this is the card of Capricorn. So it can represent overindulgence, getting sucked into the egoic way of living and thinking overabundance of the world and that like stimulus because we've talked about it before like we live in a world full of distraction and getting sucked into that is really really easy because it's what everyone does right it also represents becoming a slave to your own desires and i think that there's a lot of 
that in um, like our Capricorn nature, which is like getting way too sucked into one thing. And it's almost like you put blinders on and you forget the rest of the things exist. And I am for sure guilty of doing this. <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. And I think another piece of it too. So I come from a very, uh, I'll say not long lineage, but generational um, thing with addiction and I feel like this ties heavily with the double card because it's almost like yeah. falling into those addictive habits. And that that doesn't mean just like addictive substances. It could be obsessive or it could mm -hmm. be like you're think you think you're supposed to be doing one thing and it's not working, but you force maybe forcefulness or something like that. Yeah. I think that that's where it relates the most to Capricorn because we tend to be a little strong-headed about things and push through even when it's not working. Stubbornness is real and also <laughs> the workaholic aspect definitely ties into that as well. Yeah, yeah. And that for sure is like an external pressure, right? Like that's mm -hmm. not something that ever comes from the internal. And I think that that also ties to like an egoic way of living because when you have those workaholic tendencies, it's often the ego that's running the show. Yeah, absolutely. Also guilty. I've done that. <laughs> I used to do that so bad. Um, and even now I'm still working on it because I'm like, I remember Brandy asked a question once in a breathwork session that we um, we combined together and I did, I did my bowls. I played like sound for this session and she was leading the breathwork. And she asked the question, what are your priorities? And, and I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, my priorities are like my, my family, my personal life, like all of those things, right? And this was just in like March, I think, or April. And then she said, what do your actions show your priorities actually are? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> my actions show that my priorities are not these things. So it's just always like getting new clarity, right? And like, oh, shit. All right. I've got to recalibrate and like pull thing. And this is what I mean, like pulling things in for myself instead of giving so much of myself to everything outside of me, like making sure that I build that time that I can recover from doing hard things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't doing that. And I didn't even realize until she asked that question. And I was like, oh no, I really have to rethink this. <laughs> that makes so much sense. And it also, what came to my mind when you said that is going back to intuition versus maybe the ego where it's like mm -hmm. intuitively meaning like the actions and it, it, I could be wrong or I could be simplifying this but it's like for me when I'm when you just said that it's like I thought about like you're instinctually with your intuition doing what you want to do but also there's that other side where it's like this is what I think I want to do yeah or should do even should should yeah. is always the ego yeah. And should always represents external pressure that never, ever comes from mm. your soul and your soul purpose. So that's like an important note, right? Like that comes from like my coaching classes that I'm like, mm, should isn't something that comes from me. So when I find myself saying it, I'm like, oh, that's an illuminating thing. Like to listen to the words that you say out loud, and right. then you're like, oh, I should be doing X, Y, or Z then that's the moment you're like, okay, who is pressuring me or what is pressuring me to be doing X, Y, and Z? And is that really what I want to be doing? 
And if the answer is no, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that touches on a really good point. Yeah. I think going back to your, what you, those questions, first of all, but also like, are your actions following what you think or what you're saying? Yeah. Because actions and talking and thinking are two different, three different things. So yeah. Yeah. They're all like different facets, right? That's like. (laughs) my mind the emoji of the brain exploding just <laughs> a little bit but that's, that's okay i like it i i really like that that's giving me something to think about in my own life it's all just new perspective right yeah thank you devil card yeah <laughs> always showing up and bringing us new <laughs> refinements yep <laughs> um okay so now we're at number 16 and that's the tower And this is a commonly misunderstood card. So it's interesting to me that from 13, 15, and 16, all three of the cards that are the most feared or misunderstood in the deck, they all fall right here. Mm -hmm. And temperance is kind of in the middle of them, like finding that balance, right? And Mm -hmm. I think it's, I just think that it's interesting that they're all clustered together. So these can represent like a really difficult time in like the mastery of these things because like, you come into it like at strength, you know, the mastery of the first phase. And you're like, oh, I got this, right? And then you come to these moments and it's like, uh, no, I don't got this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the tower is, it kind of looks in most decks like a natural disaster is taking place. Uh, it often depicts lightning and beings of some sort jumping from a tall structure. Sometimes it can look like foundations are breaking. It can look like a lot of different things, but really the tower represents the shattering of an illusion and a big change that you have no control over. And I think that's why people fear it because there is a lack of control in this card that shows up. It often is a big change. It's not something small and it can be seen as going beyond your typical conscious reality to uncover something much deeper. And that kind of plays very nicely with what we just talked about with the devil card, right? So the devil might be just like shining light on that. And then you hit your tower moment where like everything falls apart. But again, like I always see this as as like a moment of refinement where you can gain a lot of clarity and approach things maybe a little differently, you know, like, and, and this can feel very much like a setback, but if you go into it with that knowledge where you're like, Oh yeah, like if this is a tower moment, it's fine. It's just the catalyst for a big change. Absolutely. And I like the idea that it, it does feel like a natural disaster because you cannot control mother nature. You cannot no. control the devastation that mother earth causes. And right. it's, it's almost like it's forcing you to accept what's going on. And it's asking yourself, how, how are you going to cope with this? How are you going to process this? And how are you going to move forward from this big thing that just happened? Yeah, I I like to see it as almost like testing your mastery, right? Like Mm. we think we have it all figured out and that's the ego. And then like something comes in and is like this earth shattering experience. And we're like, oh, never mind. (laughs) I didn't master it. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like from that moment, sometimes we kind of fall backwards a little, right? Like we might fall backwards to a point where we're at like the hanged man. Mm -hmm. We're like, okay, well, this is where we are, right? 
So yeah. you're the hanged man. You're like, I guess I'm just going to, you know, hang out here for a little bit, get some clarity and try to go back through this path that's really difficult because then you move into like death and temperance and the devil and then to your tower moment again. And maybe the second time you approach that, the tower moment isn't quite so bad. That's true. That's very true. Because you go into it with knowledge, right? Right. So now we're at 17 and this is the star. Um, the star represents the realm of the unconscious and inner calm. So this is interesting that it comes right after the tower. And I kind of see it as like the rainbow after a storm. Yeah, I can see that. I'm reading the Moonchild Tarot and the book and mm -hmm. it's healing, bliss, hope, spiritual love, inspiration. So it's definitely yeah. that hopefulness is back. And yeah. also the star, I know we haven't been touching on this, but the star is Aquarius, in case anybody's curious. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So the really interesting thing about the star is that it often means that there is no way of going back to where you were. I and like for me, that. yeah, for me, it's like you can't unknow what you know now, right? Like yeah. the lessons that you learn from death temperance the devil and the tower you can't unknow that information it's kind yeah. of like it's kind of like when you have one of those really life altering experiences and you look back and you're like oh i know what's happening now and then you're like okay so like yeah in the moment losing my dad that was super shitty. It sucked. It was really hard. We knew it was coming, right? Like he was sick for a long time, but now I can look back at it and the way that I see that moment is so different than when I was in it. And I think that's really common. You know, when we go through hard things in life, retrospect always gives us a different perspective and we can see things a little bit with like a wider lens than we could in the moment, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. This card can often, if it's in reverse, it will represent that you've closed yourself off to your inner calm and the hope that is represented by the card is overshadowed by arrogance. Mm. So if you're like, no, I've mastered it, and this card shows up in reverse, it's like reminding you not to get cocky about it because <laughs> that's where you start to fall backwards through some of that stuff. Okay, so that brings us to 18, and this is the moon. The moon is another one of my favorite cards. It is the card of imagination and your higher consciousness. And when you accept that, the imagination can bring a richness to your life. So can your higher consciousness. So this is like tapping into your higher self, and it represents that really, really well. It also can indicate inner reflection and excitement. I love this card specifically with the Moonchild Tarot. The moon is the specific reason why I bought this deck because mm. it just gives me like 1920s vibes mixed in with Egyptian style. And this is also the card for Pisces, which as yes. we all should know by now, I am Pisces moon and rising. So I have a lot of feelings about things. And also it's this is feminine, right? Mm -hmm. The moon is feminine energy. Yes. Yeah. I love this card. It makes me happy. It's a great one. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love it. Number 19 is the sun, and this is the card of Leo. Mm -hmm. So when you think of Leo's, like this really big, bright, loving, kind energy. But the important thing is the sun requires water or it makes a desert, right? Right. Needs that balance. 
Yeah, there has to be balance. The sun represents light after a period of darkness. It's a very positive card. It stands for joy, celebration of beauty of life. And in reverse, it can be an indication that there might be confusion with joy as if the sun is behind the clouds. So even in its reversed aspect, it's not a super negative card. It's just um, saying that maybe there's something that's preventing you from fully experiencing the joy that can come with that card. This is also masculine energy, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It can represent people in your life, you know, things like that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. important to pay attention to. And like I said before in the disclaimer, the more that you work with these things, the more you'll learn kind of what they mean to you everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So card number 20 is judgment. This card is a call to a more meaningful existence, a coming to terms with your past. Judgment is a symbol for the urge to make an important change in your life. So judgment could come up at a time when you are facing maybe some really challenging relationships or decisions. And it's it's kind of like an indication that you need to go inward to figure out what the right answer for yourself is. So a lot of these cards at the end of the major arcana are reflection into your intuition to make sure that you're making decisions that are aligned with your higher self, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Judgment often has like an angel on it or uh, has like a trumpet. And in the original Ryder Smithwaite deck, it was very similar to like the reckoning that comes after death, like the resurrection or, you know, however you want to look at that. So it's that leaning into a higher, higher version of yourself for the rest of your life. It's a Mm -hmm. call that. My card in my deck is really interesting because the angel is there, but it's wearing a mask. So it's a call to drop the facade of how you represent yourself with the rest of the world and tap into who you really are so that you can make those authentic connections. It goes back to exactly what we were just talking about versus like, what are you actually doing versus what you think you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it kind of does. Okay, so then you have card number 21, and that's the world. And this is often the final card of the Major Arcana if you have a 78-card deck. It's just the symbol of completion. It's often a card of victory and celebration. In reverse, it would represent a distraction from your path in life for, like, your higher self, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the Moonchild Tarot, it's renamed to the universe. Mm. And it's this shadow of a woman in, uh, like, standing on a cliff's edge kind of a situation. And it's just like moons and planets and galaxies. And she's holding what looks like just this glowing orb. Oh, how cool. And that's, to me the symbol that she has mastered the things in the universe like she's all-knowing and and open and intuitive and and things like that yeah that like deep inner knowledge right Mm -hmm. that's super cool so i kind of want to talk a little bit about um these numbers in the minor arcana so the way that i like to look at the separation between the major and minor arcana major arcana represents like overarching big themes for your life if you have a spread of like say like most people pull three cards right 
if you're pulling all major arcana, I interpret that as the cards giving you like a really strong push toward like focusing on whatever that message is. So it becomes like a very loud message, right? Mm -hmm. the minor arcana is more of like your day-to-day -day mundane, you know, normal stuff. So if you're pulling a bunch of minor arcana in a spread, it's kind of just like humdrum whatever right mm -hmm. but the major arcana is a very loud message anytime that i've done a reading for myself where i've pulled a lot of major arcana it's been right before something really big starts happening mm, okay so it could be something like that it also could be like an indicator that you're straying from your path like whatever there's a there's a lot or like maybe a call to come back to that or to revisit how you feel about that. So yeah. it's there is a pretty good distinction between those two things. So numbers one through ten, one represents new beginnings and the base element quality. So it's it's again a very similar card to like the fool where you're jumping in, you know, without looking. Two usually represents partnerships or union. Three is a very full expression of this element. Threes often also indicate um, some tension maybe in whatever this element represents. So if you pull the three of swords, the three of swords is like mind over heart, that you're mm -hmm. using your head too much, you're not thinking with your heart. Um, it also is an indicator of you know some resistance and heartache that's coming. If you pull like the three of pentacles, it could be that you are being impulsive and like, you know, doing some stuff that doesn't line up with maybe what your values are or um, you're doing some stuff that's going to deplete you over time. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but three um, I often see as like uh, the beginning of tension. That's so funny because the three of cups is literally my favorite card. Really, <laughs> but I base it off the imagery of the decks that I have, and for me, it's just like super fun vibes with like yeah. people getting together and like causing mischief, but in the best way possible. Yeah. So it, it could be like girlfriends, it could be like your your friends getting together and causing mayhem, but having fun, and it's not super serious. But again, I have to work with the decks more, and I yeah. could get a different feel for it. But I, I love the Three of Cups. I don't think that you're wrong, you know, in that interpretation. But often I've learned that that card comes up when people are not doing that enough. Mm. But they're so wrapped up in like their day-to-day -day life that they're not celebrating things. And it's a call to step into that space or you're going to face tension, right? Yeah. Like it's a call to celebrate. Yeah. 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 Let's see. So four represents structure. It often is taking inventory of things. So four of pentacles is taking an inventory of all the things you have in your life and deciding what stays and what goes. It's very similar to the death card and allowing some things to kind of fall out of your life so that you can accept the new things. You have space to accept those, right? It can be like uh, purging your closet kind of thing where you're just getting rid of a lot of things that don't fit in your life anymore. Five represents conflict and struggle. My favorite two are the five of swords which is I in my deck, it's the card of defeat. So it's and a soldier. It's my favorite depiction of this energy because it's a soldier that has a bunch of knives all around him and he looks like he's just lost a battle. Oh. So it's a really good representation of that energy. And the five of pentacles is the same way where I think it's a woman on crutches 
mm-hmm. that she needs to accept help from those around her. And that stubbornness will only keep you stuck in that energy longer. That makes sense. So, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to read that. But I often see it as conflict or struggle. The um, Let's see, the five of wands is in my deck it's a goat standing up on top of a rock and there's a bunch of animals fighting around it so that's conflict and tension right right six often represents communication the six of wands is a very interesting card because it's kind of celebratory it's like you've conquered the mountain and you're planting your flag at the top So it's like in that way, it would be a communication of your own victories, like celebrating those things. Seven is a card of victory. It can also, um, seven of swords is kind of an interesting card because there is um, almost like the imagery tells us that somebody's trying to get away with something. So like, yes, you may have been victorious, but in the background of that card, there are red flags at the camp. So it's a reminder to like reflect on that and see if, you know, that victory was ill-gotten maybe, right? Mm. Or like there's some backstabbing going on there. Eek. Yeah. Eight is movement. It often represents journey. The eight of, I think it's the eight of pentacles in my deck is a person with a knapsack on their back and there's items falling out of the knapsack. So it's, you know, stepping away from things and allowing things to fall away again. Mm -hmm. Nine represents compromise and struggle. The nine of cups is probably the best representation of this in most decks that it, it's a symbol that, yeah, you may have reached the, you know, the end of the numbers, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. And it's a cat sitting outside of a bird cage that's caught the bird. Oh, So, yeah, like you may have caught the bird, but at what cost? Yeah. Yeah. And then 10 represents completion and moving into like a higher way of of experiencing whatever the element is that you've pulled. So the 10 of cups is like thinking about your legacy. It's the completion of relationships and mastery of that. And then thinking about how do you want to leave your mark on the world? Mm -hmm. I think... In the Guardian of the Night Tarot, the Ten of Cups has all of the characters, like all the animals, and it's like a sense of community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the suit at the end. So the page usually represents study or a new message. It's very youthful, like I mentioned before. So my exact birth date is the page of pentacles. And so that is like, it represents the study of pentacles. So really knowing what's what with the suit and that's the earth element, right? Mm -hmm. So that represents like your physical world, your home, your structures, your financials, all of that stuff is represented by that. All of your tangible things in the world. And it's the study of all of those things and making sure that it is what you think it is, right? Mm -hmm. But it can also represent messages. Sometimes the pages show up because maybe you're getting a bonus, right? And the page of pentacles shows up before you get it. And it's letting you know, hey, like something's coming in. Something new is here. Cool. Then we have the night. And like I said before, this is, it's youthful. It's kind of like, I I see it as like 15-year-old energy. Like 
they think that they know, but they don't really. They're just very quick to make these decisions. And that doesn't go to all of them, right. but that's kind of what it reminds me of. So if you have like a sibling or if you have a child that's about that age, you'll be really familiar with what this energy looks like. And it can mean that you need to make quick decisions or that you may need to take responsibility for something associated with the element that you're pulling. Mm. So then we step into the queen and this is very deep knowledge and mastery of this element. It's the appreciation, the creativity, and it can represent the mother or the nurturing aspect of whatever that element is. Mm -hmm. And the king, like I mentioned before, is uh, success, but it's also social responsibility within that element. So if it's pentacles, it could be a, a reminder to like take care of those who are under your stewardship mm -hmm. or the people who are in your circle. It also is like an expression of power within that element. So if it's like the king of swords, that could mean an expression of your mental abilities and what you can do. So that's kind of how I like to read those. Obviously, the elements are a much deeper study and exploration. And like I mentioned before, we have a class in my Patreon that is covering all of these things. We've just covered... Uh, the major arcana, and the element of pentacles. So we've talked about what all of those mean, um, and we're going to be moving into wands next, I believe. I'm pretty sure wands is our next element. So that'll be fun. We're going to wrap up that class uh, toward the end of this year. So I'll put the details in the show notes if you would like to um, be involved in that class or if you would like to join the Patreon. You're certainly welcome there as well. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's good information. Fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's kind of basic coverage. Um, in the future, if you guys find this one interesting, let us know, and we can definitely dive into the elements in more depth and talk about them. Or if you have questions, please send us uh, an email and let us know that you have questions about this, and we'll cover it when we do a recap. Or, you know, maybe we'll just set aside time and create a whole episode to cover all the questions that come. If there's a lot of them, I want to make sure that we address everything that comes through. So, yeah, this is just the icing on the cake and and more so just like a brief overview and just like a conversation about tarot cards and how we use them, how we read them, things like that. And everyone has again, what like works for them. I know mm -hmm. a lot of the YouTubers I watch have their own sense of style. And it's funny because as I'm collecting decks, which I don't, I don't foresee me having a lot because just like bullet journaling, I have a very particular aesthetic style and I go based off the seasons. So I'm not going to purchase something unless I know like it's a hell yes. And yeah. then I will like use it. One of the first things that a lot of the YouTubers brought up as I was learning and watching and figuring out like, okay, what's my aesthetic? What's my style? What do I want in cards? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people were like, yeah, I don't like people in my cards. Mm -hmm. And I was like, do I not like people in my cards? <laughs> and I was like <laughs> having a crisis. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I think I, I kind of agree with that. And the Moonchild Tarot does have people in them like as you were explaining the queen and king mm -hmm. they are people and it's like in profile and I don't get much out of that like I, oh, I would definitely have to look at the guidebook but 
for whatever reason in Guardian of the Night Tarot, which is all animals, I feel like I get more out of an animal deck. Mm. And the one that I pre-ordered is also an animal deck. So I definitely already have my like niche. I also like specific color palettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think it's kind of a good thing as far as like money wise, because I watch a lot of these <laughs> like card unboxings or, or deck unboxings on YouTube. And it's like a lot of them. I'm like, oh no, that's not for me. Oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> so and it is definitely a good thing that I already have developed my own sense of style and like what I look for in a deck. Um, and I will do extensive research and mm-hmm. I'll watch unboxings and I'll scour websites before I make a purchase because I'm just that intentional about I want to be sure I like majority of the cards especially like decks are not cheap and I think as I'm as I'm blabbering I think we should talk about um maybe dupes one more time that we talked about yes oracles because that I also want to be cautious that I am giving money to the creator and not like a phony baloney. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important to make sure that you do your homework and that whatever uh, deck you decide to purchase for yourself or for someone else, that you are making sure that it is legitimate. There are a lot of dupes out there in the world, unfortunately, where people are stealing other people's artwork and printing them and then selling them at a very discounted price. Um, There are a couple of places that I know that do tarot exchange and that's a really great way to get a good price on a tarot deck especially if it's one that you really love that's kind of expensive a lot of times what that means is that the the company that is providing the exchange is accepting someone else's tarot deck going through it making sure it's not damaged and that it's legitimate and then reselling it at a discounted price Um, And I know of a couple of shops that do that. I'll try to find their links and put them in the show notes so you guys can find them there. The other thing is to look at who the publisher is for the deck. And then if you're buying it off of like Amazon or Etsy, make sure that you're buying it from the actual publisher and not just from some schmojo that's, you know, selling a deck, right? So just be careful. Uh, There are a lot of a lot of dupes out there. Um, there's a lot of people pirating other people's artwork, which is really unfortunate because people who create these decks are, you know, giving a very large portion of their time to create them. And there's a lot of intention with that. And if you buy a dupe, oftentimes it's not going to be as sturdy as something that's produced by the creator or the publisher of the cards if that makes sense yeah absolutely and as we're recording this i think it was a week ago um the first oracle deck i purchased was woodland wardens actually it was gifted Mm -hmm. by one of my friends because she's like you i have to gift it to you i'm like okay so uh jessica rue had an instagram post where she's like unfortunately people are duping my deck let me show you a side-by-side comparison of the dupe versus like the legit deck and yeah yeah it's vast difference there was even cards missing like it was really Mm -hmm. sad and i feel for these author these the creators of the decks because that's such a headache to have your artwork like stolen and and people are losing out on like the full deck and experience that the creator intended. 
Yeah. I mean, and as, as somebody like for me, I've been in the world of print. I spent a significant portion of my career in that field. And I'll tell you that no creator of a deck is ever going to choose the type of paper that these dupes are using. They're never going to choose something that's not going to hold up because they understand that these are going to be used, right? Like they understand the paperweights. Um, they understand the finishes. They understand all of these things. The dupes are just stealing it and printing it as cheap as possible to make a quick buck. And that's so disappointing because as someone who like understands the world of print and design and all of that, like I would never imagine a creator producing something on a subpar paper or with without like a, a good finish because they want their cards to hold up. They don't want you to have a negative experience. So yeah, it's just a lot to consider. Just make sure that you're paying attention to stuff like that. And if you have any challenges with it, like do some research, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of information out there and um, there's a lot of reputable places to get a good deck. Absolutely. Kind of going back to what I said earlier, like I'm just very intentional with my purchases and I make sure I'm buying from a reputable source. If it's on Amazon, I make sure to go to their shop page, like their for real one, not just a random yeah. random product on the search page. Like I go to their shop on Amazon. For Danielle Noel, I went through her website because I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that I was, you know, paying supporting her for the deck yeah. that I wanted and I I did look at some like used ones or like you know on different like resale apps or whatever but mm -hmm. I didn't feel right doing that so I'm like I'm just gonna go through the website yeah I could be losing money I could get, probably get this a lot cheaper but I feel good in my decision to buy from the artist and that's just my preference one thing uh, we should mention before we wrap up is some people from my YouTube university uh, don't like to do reversals. They don't like to read mm. reversals. Do you, yes. can you touch on that a little bit? Do you think? I think that that is an individual decision, right? It can feel overwhelming at first to be like, okay, I have to memorize the meaning of this card, but also the alternate meaning of this card, like that feels like a lot. But it's much easier to learn it in the beginning than to wait and try to then learn what the reversals are. So I would say if you're going to be reading reversals, start out that way with that intention, because it's, it's a lot harder to learn the reversal after you've learned the upright. That's just mm -hmm. my own experience experience. Um, I tried doing it that way in the beginning and it was so confusing. So I just was like, no, I'm just going to rip off the bandaid and like do it all this way. Right. And as I was pulling one card and studying one card at a time, I also did the reversals at the same time. Gotcha. So it was just a lot of taking notes, a lot of like experiencing and, and experimenting and all of that stuff. So if you're going to read reversals, I would say learn those in the beginning as you're learning the meaning of your cards, but there's certainly no pressure to do it that way. Like you can definitely just read upright if that resonates with you. If you don't want to read reversals, that's totally fine. Yeah, I can see that. Also, another thing I just thought of is why do you believe that some decks only have major arcana and some decks only are minor and they don't come together. 
I don't know. I haven't come across that in the decks that I've looked at. I mean, I know that some of them have maybe less of the major arcana, and I think some of that is it's really hard to create something original, you know, that somebody else hasn't already done at this point, unless, you know, you have like a whole idea. Like there's, there's tarot decks for literally everything out there. So it's really hard to find something that hasn't been done. Um, I think that if you get into that kind of space, it's really similar to an Oracle card. Mm -hmm. So say that like one type of major arcana resonates with you, then you can pull your major arcana from that deck and then pull your minor from another. And that's fine. Like you can mix things up. You don't have to do it any one way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of my take on it. I wouldn't ever, I don't think I would ever order like part of the deck and then part of the deck because I think there's a cohesiveness between major and minor arcana. And that message really needs to be clear when you're pulling cards. Yeah. It, I, when I've been like doing some dabbling and like, if I'm like, oh, I think I like this deck and I look at it and I'm like, why is it just only the majors? Like, where's the minors? Yeah. So I, I'm always been curious why they're not the full 78 cards or however many there are. Maybe that's just the author's choice. I don't know. Sure. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Well, I feel like that's a good place to wrap up. So if you guys have questions about anything that we've covered, please send us an email at weirdlifestylepod at gmail.com and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, like I said, we're planning on recording another episode where we recap everybody's messages and notes. We've had a couple of comments and emails, um, but we love hearing from our audience and knowing you know, that what we're talking about is resonating with you. So if you made it this far in the podcast, also please consider leaving a rating. Um, it will just help other people find us a little bit easier and, you know, take what you want and leave what you don't. And <laughs> we hope to see you guys in the next episode. Yep. We'll see ya. Thanks for joining in. Bye.